0: Hello, Bonsai friends. This is Evan Pardue of Underhill Bonsai. Welcome to episode 25 of Little Things for Bonsai People, formerly uh, Bonsai Southeast. Uh, this time I am joined by Mike Lane. Uh, it's been a moment. He's been out doing his Bonsai thing. How's it going, Mike?
1: Oh, It's going great. I'm happy to be back. Happy to be back in the U.S. and, uh, and
0: to be home for a month. Awesome. We're going to catch up with you in just a moment uh, after we get through our Patron list, I'd like to uh, thank our patrons, of course, our amazing patrons from Patreon.com. You can go become a Boneside Best Bud over at Patreon.com forward slash little things for Boneside people. Uh, I'd like to thank Tor- Tori Solis, Warehouse Rat, Boyd Snellgrove, Ricky Ruins, Joshua Bentley, Snappy Chappers, Ryan Glee, Glee R Dano. I think I got it that time, Joel Jenkins, Justin Knight, Backyard Bonsai Australia and the ladies at the flower market. You guys are awesome. Thank you guys for so much for supporting the show. Uh, happy birthday to everyone's whose birthday it is today. Cause I keep forgetting forget, to ask uh, Pacific Bonsai dates. Oh, not Bonsai birthday dates. This is a Bonsai show though. If you'd like to follow uh, like, subscribe to any of our social media accounts. You can go over to underhillboneside.com and you can look at some of the articles I've written. You can go to Facebook to go follow me there. Instagram to go over to Little Things for boneside People and check out our Instagram feed. We have a couple of uh, trees that we critiqued that were shared on there. And you'll see on the descriptions what episodes they are linked to. For Mike, you can go over to kitsuneboneside.com. And you can go check out his merch. You can go check out information about booking him to come do classes in your local area. He does a lot of uh, classes in Florida. Uh, Like Mike said, he's been traveling around the U.S. teaching classes and giving demonstrations. uh, For Carmen, you can uh, go check out the purplepotsociety.org. Go check out the Women's Bonsai uh, National Club. Awesome material. Awesome resources. $35 a year. It's a great deal. Uh, and then all of our episodes have been edited by Matt O'Donnell. He's our uh, really awesome editor. He's a bass player and music producer out of Nashville, Tennessee. He makes our podcast sound great. He makes us sound smart. Thank you so much, Matt, for editing this podcast. If you want to check him out, Instagram, Matt O'Donnell. Uh, or you can go to his website, mattodonnell.com, and he has a contact form on there. If all you can do is listen and uh, just Make sure you subscribe on whatever listening platform you're on. That really helps the algorithm. Uh, We are at a good number of subs. I think we hit 60 subscribers. That's awesome. Thank you so much, guys. Um, If you sub and then you put the notifications on, you can see when the newest Little Things for Boneside podcast episode comes out. and Keep up to date with us. We're on a weekly schedule, finally. This feels good. We're on a roll. So where have you been, Mike? We have missed you. Well, we don't have Carmen here this time, unfortunately, but we have missed you on the podcast.
1: Yeah. um, Well, I went to India and uh, and was there for a while and then uh, came back and was doing some work on the other coast of Florida and then uh, did uh, three cities in Texas. And so now I'm finally I'm getting to spend April local, you know, within Florida at least and uh, and start traveling again in May. But it's been a lot of learning, a lot of teaching and, uh, and pretty, pretty fun experiences
0: so far. Excellent. Yeah, you normally do Texas um, about every year, maybe a couple of seasons. Do you do the seasonal tour? Yeah, I've got
1: a. I've done the tour, um, and I've also been going out there the last few years to uh, to teach separate programs. But recently, I've had uh, a few different cities, a few different groups sign up for my uh, advanced shohan course, and that's basically meets four times a year. Mm. And so, um, so I've got one actually starting in. Uh, baton rouge here soon so in june i think
0: so. yep uh i've actually been t- talking to some of the uh, bonsai club members out here and they're pretty excited for you to, to come by that's going to be i know that you're supposed to be here later this month or next month yeah yeah i'm coming for
1: something separate um a different thing but yep. uh, I, I will be there for the hen thing in end of june I believe. end of june yeah, yeah.
0: cool cool yeah Yeah,
1: and what how's it been life with evan been you've been out at haggadorn's
0: and oh yeah yeah i was uh at haggadorn's uh earlier uh dude it's there's been so much stuff going on um i can't remember that when that was uh for the listeners out there have been tracking uh our movements (laughs) i was uh i was recording an episode at the apprentice house with carmen i think that was back in late february um and then i came back and went to texas as well went to austin I love Austin Bones of Society. They rock out there. Talk to some San Antonio peeps. They want to uh, have me out soon. I would. I'm really looking forward to that. So, yeah, some good traveling stuff going on. Uh, I know we're still looking forward to uh, to uh, Laurent Laurent uh, Darrow coming out. Yeah, uh, yeah. I've actually got a couple of people signed up for that class already in October coming up. It's going to be awesome. a great time. Um, and yeah, we should we should be expecting to have uh, Laurent later on. I think closer to when he's here, but that will be a little nice, nice little guest feature in the future. Um, yeah, so I
1: figured in the next few months or so, I'd I'd have him come on and and talk. But uh, you know, been he's got a few YouTube videos out, people can check out. Um, you know, you could always order the book off kitsunebonsai.com dot com, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, kind of keep
0: abreast of of
1: the new everything new in the cosmic bonsai world.
0: Yeah. And uh, for the listeners out there that are not aware, you can go to Kitsune and pick up Cosmic Bonsai 1 and 2. It's the first time it's been printed in the United States. Uh, and thanks to Mike, he is distributing the book. It's really awesome. So may have mentioned it in the past, but it's worth mentioning again because it's just, it's innovative bonsai. It's great stuff. It really is.
1: Yeah, I really enjoy it. It's, a, it's you know, like one of the things I was, uh, I keep telling people is it's not a replacement for bonsai. It's a, an analog. You know, it's something that uh, I'm not going to go replace all my trees with cosmic bonsai, but it certainly is like a way to work outside the box and to come up with some really creative compositions.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, he really does uh, a lot of experiment with uh, not only just his compositions, but his display models as well. Oh, um, for sure. Yeah. So yeah, we touched on that earlier on about about uh, kind of the the Mobius inspired kind of feel to the the robots and the the. Uh, kind of just bubbly type uh retro futurism kind of stuff he uses so yeah yeah that's Dep- very cool very cool stuff but uh yeah we we had a request from a listener to kind of get a little bit of uh a, the opinions uh deep not not so much of a deep dive we do what we can with our time today on uh tiger bark ficus and tropicals in particular I know it's been a long time coming. We've talked about tropicals in the past, but uh, somebody in particular was asking about tiger bark. So give us a rundown on tiger bark. We can kind of kind of get some nuances out of the species a little bit.
1: Well, it's a it's a Eurostigma fig, meaning that uh, Eurostigma figs are figs that start their life as epiphytes, meaning that uh, a fig is eaten by a bird. The bird then defecates that seed somewhere else, and mm-hmm. the light, the tree begins its life almost like an orchid, usually high up in a tree, mm-hmm. uh, where it doesn't have any roots in contact with soil. So it begins life epiphytically. And that's uh that's useful for us horticulturally when dealing with them as bonsai, because you will use the aerial roots for several different techniques and only Eurostigma. Uh, figs grow aerial roots so like a traditional fig plant does not grow aerial roots does not start its life as an epiphyte mm. so uh, tiger bark is my is a variant of uh, ficus microcarpa and so people used to call it ficus retusa. it's no longer uh, called that Retusa is a separate ficus and it is in my opinion the best version of microcarpa so it was uh, discovered in Taiwan um, and named Kinmen ficus. And, uh, and it's basically sold over here as tiger bark ficus because of the, the stripes that are on the bark. Hmm. Um, I primarily grow them in like a semi-clip-and-grow way uh, using a lot of different techniques such as grafting, um, peg grafting, using air layers to kind of fuse things together. Um, but a lot of different techniques. Really, I, I tend to tell people they're Anything that works on a maple will pretty much work on a tiger bark or similar fig.
0: Okay. So everything from uh from thread grafting, approach grafting, air layering, obviously air layering, they air layer really well from what I've seen. Yeah. Um, defoliation practices because they do get pretty bushy. Um and they're I didn't know that they were also called Retusa for a while. I didn't realize they that were. was the same the same tree. It's kind of yeah, like
1: go ahead. Oh, retusas is, is basically think in the bonsai world, Retusa doesn't exist. So it's okay. not, it's not a fig that we use in bonsai. And so it was incorrectly applied to microcarpa um, early on. And so it's still kind of has some residue. it's still kind of working its way out, but it's now all microcarpa. So there's tons of different microcarpas out there. You can get melon seed, that's a microcarpa, Cuban laurel, that's a microcarpa. Um, Chinese banyan—that's a microcarpa—and so all of these are microcarpa variants. Uh, Green Island ficus is a microcarpa, hmm. and so everything is just a, uh, a a version of the microcarpa fig.
0: So these could be considered just uh, cultivars, or they cultivars. Just... Yeah, okay. they're cultivars. Okay. And go as far as to call it that, but so they're so all they're they're all functionally uh, they grow all the same kind of growth habit. Um, similar. Of, the way I describe it is
1: like, like a lot of people, well, some people may not know this is like almost parvifolia, Chinese elm and cork bark elm are both almost parvifolia mm-hmm. and they don't look anything like, uh, one another. They have a different leaf type, a different bark, a different growth habit, and they're both, uh, almost parvifolia. So the best way it's been described to me as far as variants and, um, and things like that go is that everything's given the same library of dna so within the microcarpa family they all have the same library of books but then the order in which they read those books determines a lot of those characteristics without changing the speciation Mm. so you can still be within the same species and be completely different like a like breeds of dogs are all one species of dog
0: yeah it's uh yeah similarly like the the you must parforfolia. Yeah, you got the the Seju and you got the Hokkaido and you got the the like you said the Yatsabusa, the car- cork bar elm, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I can start. And, I'm starting to see that now because I mean, I just don't get to work with a lot of ficus. And I think the majority of the stuff that comes through here is tiger bark, and I've just been yeah. calling it ficus microcar- microcarpa this whole time, um, and didn't realize that my you know my green gym or green mounds, or those are probably two different species, I mean, two different cultivars in themselves too. They are, yep, yeah. of, my, so, of
1: microcarpa.
0: Yep, Um. and so mm-hmm. big variations, be, very big factors in those would be bark texture and leaf, mm-hmm. if I'm correct. Oh so. yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, tiger bark's my favorite. I think you can find trees with smaller leaves, um, but at the cost of hardiness, you know, there's like a Like a melon seed to me is a lot fussier of a tree than uh, a tiger bark. A tiger bark is like the Mario of the ficus world. It (laughs) it has the best overall traits. You know, it has the best like average trait in every area,
0: Mm -hmm.
1: and so it's my best all rounder. And um, I think they they handle the techniques the best. I think uh, you can do some really advanced stuff with them, such as root grafts, fusion. Head grafting, stuff like that. And um, I think they lend themselves really, really well to beginners and intermediate students trying to take that leap into more advanced bonsai.
0: So uh, when you said that they're hardier, so they probably have a little bit more of a broader range uh, than most of your tropicals.
1: Yes. Like, uh, I will say this. I don't want to like anybody saying they can grow them out in the winter or anything like that out in freezing temperatures. But I will say that in the years where we get freezes, the hard leaf figs like the microcarpa seem to fare better than soft leaf variants. So Mm -hmm. a soft leaf variant being like a willow leaf fig or something like that. um, The Green Island ficus, the ficus microcarpa, all those trees seem to handle it a good deal better. Than some of the thinner leaved
0: ficus. Um, is there a chance you could defoliate uh, your ficus in the fall and into the winter? It'll almost have a deciduous like habit. No, I wouldn't do that. I would, uh, I mean, you can, you can
1: defoliate them in the fall, but I wouldn't try to keep them as like having a, a defoliated crown through winter. So that would be very risky as far as keeping twigs healthy. So Mm -hmm. they're not, um, They're not designed to kind of stay dormant that long. And so you'd probably definitely have some twig dieback if they didn't push out. But normally I defoliate trees uh, partially and so on throughout fall, throughout winter. And you got to play it by a case by case basis. And then also you got to sometimes roll the dice. You know, there's I you know, I defoliated a tropical this year in the middle of winter that really bit me in the ass. So you know it. Uh, sometimes it pays off, and sometimes you're like, "Well, I won't do that again." Yeah. So, so I would say for the most part, uh, you're safe with partial defoliation. That's when you're you usually can do that any time
0: of year. And that that just specifically means just thinning, basically. No,
1: no, I'm very specific. I, I when I say oh. partial defoliation, I'm always referring to. Uh, targeting the strong growth and weakening that, defoliating that a hundred percent. And then I target medium growth and I defoliate that by like 50%. And then I target the weak growth and I make sure that that is left untouched. And so I basically am like leaving buds in key areas that are weak and then weakening strong growth around them to get them to push. And so that's that in and of itself is a very advanced technique that you see on black pines that a lot of people never thought to apply to tropicals until, you know, the last 10 years or so.
0: So you, you'll be more <clears> opt <throat> to, uh, to to thin out and and balance more like a conifer because it is, a, it is an evergreen is what you're saying. Your well, and it should is, be more like it
1: that. It is. All plants should be grown like that. Uh, they should all be grown. Uh, the idea in bonsai is to balance the the vigor of the tree and make sure that everything is growing in a balanced regard within our control. So if I need to thicken the first branch, I should have the ability to move the energy to that first branch and allow that to start growing as the fastest branch on the tree. And that's accomplished by things like partial defoliation by knowing that by weakening one area, you're strengthening another area. And so that is is gonna be key to, honestly, I would say that that's what's held tropical bonsai back for the last 20 years in the U.S is Mm -hmm. just failing to understand the the importance of vigor maintenance and not caring you know i'd say most of the most of the people in tropical bonsai culture um are very much in line with the silhouette pruning the tree hedge pruning the tree branches that die die and the tree will eventually evolve into a what i call a florida gin, where all your low (laughs) branches have died and you call it a bunjin because you don't have low branches. And to me, that's not a real bunjin. Yep. It's a tree that is is quote unquote evolving into something that's not what it was originally intended to be. So I'm a I'm a purist in that regard. And I am a very big advocate of teaching people to like set your design, build your design, and build it in a way that you'll be able to maintain it for years and years and years and years and years.
0: Yeah. It's, so it sounds similar to the struggle that that I kind of see with bald cypresses here where people just treat them as bulletproof. They treat them as, all right, I'm just going to whack this off. I'm just going to regrow it. Cause it's, a, it's fine. It's a strong plant. And like you said, you'll get to this point where it'll start evolving into something that doesn't really, doesn't really have a sustainable design. And there's something that we visit, we revisit that a lot. What's going to actually be long lasting um, what's going to be something that the next next generation is not going to have an issue with developing into something better and finer. Um, and I say that in contradictory to the way that I develop flat top cypresses, which is not sustainable, but uh, could be. But with uh, with trop- with tropicals, uh, you could much easier follow the the principles of design and sustainable designs.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I don't I mean, you know, I don't want anybody to think it's like easy because it's. It's almost like people used to think tropical was the easy bonsai. You know, when I used to, when I first went to nationals, tropicals kind of had a, a stigma to them. You know, like, they, why, why do tropicals get a separate award? Why do they get their own award? I mean, I get that they're a separate tree, but you could just as easily say best broadleaf tree and award a tropical as a broadleaf. So mm-hmm. you could eliminate a whole category and just have the tropicals play with the big boys and not have to create this separate award that's almost in a way. Um, it, I'm going to get some heat for saying this, but in a way, it's condescending to tropicals. It's condescending to say, you know, and the attitude was very much of, oh, well, it's a, that's very nice for a tropical. Mm-hmm. And so the the. I've always found that very offensive. And I've always think that that's lit a fire under my butt to really pursue high level tropical design to prove to them that, you know, people in the tropics do all the same work that people up north do. You know, we do um, the partial defoliation, vigor, balance, grafting, um, fusing, air layering, ground layering, all the same stuff. And so I think where it comes from is people previously up north use their tropicals as a way to bide time until temperatures improve and they can get back to their quote-unquote real bonsai. Mm. And so I think that that's where that that stigma comes from is that people didn't really give them a lot of care and did silhouette prune them for many years and now we're kind of undoing this um this kind of uh dogma this stigma.
0: yeah Uh good hot take uh a bonsai tree doesn't have to- to be a, an actual tree, to be considered a purist bonsai. Like, uh, for for example, like shrubs, like a Japanese boxwood. I mean, it yeah. could be amazing bonsai. A tropical, just because it's a ficus and you see one in someone's window of their home, doesn't mean that there's a, a variant out there of that ficus that could be an amazing bonsai tree. Yeah. Sure. Um, so... I don't I don't think we'll get any heat from that um, I'm I'm kind of seeing a lot of progression in bone size shows and stuff recently like you had mentioned about why can't the uh the the tropical go into the broadleaf uh the broadleaf bonsai category and I've I think I've seen pictures of of uh tropicals winning the broadleaf category at recent shows and stuff you know yeah. like, and, and that's it, a good step forward yeah
1: it is a big step forward because you know you have I read an article with Michael Hagedorn, basically, he, he's of the opinion. Now, I'm speaking for him, and I'm, I'm basically saying this um, based off of what I read. But from the article I was reading, is he was saying that the broadleaf trees that he's encountered in Taiwan are, in his opinion, more advanced than what he has encountered in Japan. Now, he did not say that they're better bonsai. He said that there are still better conifer and still more mochikomi, still more age to the trees in Japan. But as far as like broadleaf ramification, um, that was one thing that I did read in one of his articles. And um, that's an important topic as well, is one of the the things that causes people to not take things like tiger bark seriously, and it's a valid point, is that tropicals lack the age of of conifers. And they they always will. You'll never see a 6,000-year-old tropical. really. I mean, there might be exceptions that, again, I might get heat for that. Somebody's going to email me a picture. But more often than not, (laughs) you're not going to see that level of age. Whereas with conifers, certain conifers, you will see that level of age. And I think it's always important, every time I talk, I'm going to touch on this, is that bonsai in Japan is practiced as the appreciation of age. So Mm -hmm. it is the appreciation of age over all else. And so if your tree doesn't make it to be old and if it's not going to be as old as another tree, it's not going to be as valuable as that tree. Yeah. So, so it's, uh, that's a valid point. I can't argue that for my boys, the tropicals, you know, we, we, uh, we're young and we're fiery and we grow fast and, uh, you know, there are trade-offs, but, uh, that's where my heart lies and I'll do everything I can to promote the love and passion for them.
0: Awesome. Yeah. I'm sure they can feel that. (laughs) Uh, Mm. it's, it, it comes to another question in my mind about tropicals too, is, uh, we're talking about, we would like to see older mochikome, uh, the life expectancy on, on most tropicals. I mean, they could be just as long as some of your, your larger scale, like, like trees and other, and other older, uh, plants. Correct. So. Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And so that that also adds to that, like, you
1: know, they'll accept a maple and whatnot. But also keep in mind that maples and and more of those trees aren't the original bonsai subject. So or the original bonsai subject, there's a reason that in a shohin display, a black pine always sits at the top. Mm-hmm. And do you know that reason is a lot of people will tell you that it's because, oh, the black pine grows at the top of the mountain. That's partially true, but the real reason, why is it a black pine and not a white pine? It's because okay. black pine is the king of bonsai. It's the, the OG. King. It's the OG, the original, mm-hmm. the first subject of study. And so that's the one that that dictates everything else. And so pines will always be the original and they'll always be seen as the kind of front, the forefront of bonsai. You know, they'll always be seen as 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 exploring the concept of age the most. Um, So
0: for history of tropical bonsai in Florida, we'll kind of get into that a little bit. I'm sure that that could be a whole thing on its own. Um, What where do you think what so who is the what is the king of tropical bonsai and where do you think some of the first tropical uh, stuff started showing up in Florida? Because I know is Florida. Would you consider Florida to be the place for tropicals in the yeah, United States? I would say
1: it is. I think we we're the only place in the contiguous and uh, the continental United States that has true tropical climate down in the Miami area, and the rest of the state is like a, a hot subtropical. So we uh, we tend to have the best environment for it. Uh, especially for certain species that grow in like countries like Vietnam and whatnot, they make a really easy transition to our climate. Um, the king of tropicals. That's I would have to say ficus. Honestly, I would have to say ficus is the king of tropicals because it's practiced. If you don't have a ficus in your tropical bonsai collection, it, I would be shocked. Like if any practitioner out there didn't have a ficus in their collection, I would be shocked. It's something that's so, uh, ingrained in the culture of tropical bonsai. And I think even in countries like Taiwan, you'll still see like the kind of like the big four is what I say. One of the reasons why I always use a lot of ficus, a lot of premna, a lot of water jasmine, and a lot of sea hibiscus is I feel that there is a tropical culture, just like there's a Japanese culture um, of trees. And so when I ask people, when I travel and I ask people, name three Japanese bonsai trees everybody can do it there's not i've never been stumped i've never had anybody not be able to come up with three japanese trees japanese black pine japanese maple uh shimpaku juniper boom yeah. um and you could go anywhere in the world and find people who are growing those trees for bonsai and so they will are unit they they go hand in hand and so same with tropical bonsai and that's what a lot of people who haven't read a lot of the literature realizes that if i go to south america and I go to Costa Rica, I'm going to find premna, I'm going to find ficus, I'm going to find water jasmine, and I'm going to find sea hibiscus. And so those are going to be kind of the, wherever I go, I'm going to find those. And there's a few others, um, but those are really the big four. And I'd say the one that stands at the top would be tiger bark ficus.
0: So in a display of shohin, your tiger bark would be on top
1: Ooh, See, yeah, now that's, 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 that's spicy. <laughs> that's spicy, yeah. So the problem is, too, is like something I've toyed with is, is at least for Florida. This is specifically for Florida. But the mountain theme, like a shohen display, is built around the mountains. And everything in display in Japan is built around this, like, love and fascination of the mountains. And so um, in Florida, we don't have mountains. And so I always feel a bit inauthentic. When mm-hmm. I'm trying to build a Florida show display, I always feel like this is so like backwards to me. Um, and so what I would say is, would the ficus sit at the top under those paradigms of should the king sit at the top? Yes, the ficus should. But do I think that there are more prominent trees that maybe like I think a buttonwood is a more reverent tree. I think mm. a buttonwood demands, it might not have the impact in the the wide range that ficus has, but I think uh, it's closer to a pine and closer to the understanding of age that bonsai kind of, you know, warrants us to have. And so a buttonwood, I think is a, again, this is controversial, but I think it's a truer form of bonsai.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's... Yeah because of the collectability
0: of buttonwoods.
1: It's because of when you and I should yeah, I should say that collected buttonwoods. I would say that usually you're collecting something because it has age. You're saving time. So I don't I won't go collect seedlings. I'll grow a seedling, you know, I don't need to go collect one. What I'll collect is something that I can't grow in my lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so a tree like that should that represents the concept of uh mochikomi and the concept of age very, very well, you know, um, that, that really is a better study. So if you think of bonsai as a study of age and we're just looking for, for examples of extreme age, well, then you start to see like the value that the Japanese see in bonsai. And you start seeing that a collected buttonwood that's a hundred years old, that grew very, very slowly is going to be a much more valuable and rare tree than a ficus that took me six years to grow. Mm
0: Mm-hmm you see and, what i'm saying yeah and so you would you would be more inclined to put your buttonwood at the top and then the ficus is going to be typically is it going to be a strong form on your, be, on your
1: rack it would be a strong form yeah um and i might even i've toyed with the idea of doing linear display as far as florida goes because we tend to go from uh, coastal habitat inland to pine hammock and swamp and so Instead of like thinking of a box where everything moves towards elevation, I thought about something more linear, you know, Mm. going across the tatami mat where the environment is changing from coastal to kind of more pine hammock and then changing to swamp. And so I don't know if I would need a king in that
0: display. I
1: think everything would be given its ample kind of room to shine.
0: Kind of its own hierarchy and its own element. So the...
1: And and I think it's important that we all start thinking that way, because uh, one of the things Laurent, a big thing that I read in his book that I took away from it is uh, culturally appropriating can sometimes lead us to trouble. Like Mm -hmm. like I was just saying, I feel inauthentic displaying tropical trees in a mountain scene when I live in Florida where there's no mountains. And so that's, I'm appropriating something that I don't fully understand you know i was never raised in the mountains i it's not a culture that's that's uh, ingrained in me whereas if i start displaying my trees based around my environment and i start toying with the same japanese themes i'm not not diverting too far from the theme but start playing with how does my environment work how do i display the various trees and how they occur
0: mm. and is, so is this a yeah. project that you're coming up with to kind of maybe make a custom show rack or, or, uh, or yeah. display something um, like
1: that. And I, I don't know when this will come to fruition, but it is something that I, I think about often whenever I'm giving lectures on display and whenever I'm giving lectures on, uh, you know, in places that don't have mountains, you know, I do mm-hmm. a lot of shohin display discussions and we're talking about the Japanese fascination of mountains. And it almost feels like we're so desperate for their culture and not necessarily applying those same principles to our culture. And that's what it's really all about. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, when when I, we had Sammy on a couple of weeks ago, and we were talking about Suiseki, he mentioned something very similar where he said that he thought France had terrible stones. He thought, you know, he was like, I'm not going to mess with my own stones. And everybody thought that there were no good Suiseki in France. Mm-hmm. And then he talked with some Japanese master who said, you have to learn to love your stones And uh, it's it's among the very same kind of concepts where we have to learn to kind of love our environment and work to show our trees and our environment in a Japanese setting in that same appreciation of age.
0: Yeah, it's it's hard to blur the line between the obvious Japanese influence on our bonsai practice and then our local influence. That's where this is kind of heading towards. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's straying into another, uh, another topic, but I'm totally digging it. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of struggle with that thought too, is like, if we're going to display stuff here in Louisiana, it's got to even be way different from Florida because Florida, right. you guys got the Everglades, uh, which is just, uh, ever, uh, people who are not familiar with the Everglades kind of give my idea what that's like. It's,
1: it's an endless, endless swamp of flat alligator infested water.
0: <laughs> yep yeah. Yeah. you don't want to hang out there too too late uh in the day i imagine it's like an actual like kind of like uh amazon almost amazon it is kind of, yeah there's it's... pythons there there's everything down there <laughs> so there, it's crazy and then you get down into the florida keys and that's like a whole different world too that's, that's the where the buttonwoods you're, come from yeah
1: you're basically in the caribbean then and uh and yeah that's where a lot of the buttonwoods come from and they get hit by hurricanes they get hit by uh, tides they get just a terrible miserable life for those
0: buttonwoods until somebody comes and rescues them and it's uh it's that i think the buttonwood thing too is uh this is just kind of going off topic again but i was kind of thinking about this the other day i have people ask me every once in a while like how old is a buttonwood and uh because one of the things that I get over here at the nursery I get people come in and they want to look at the trees and they're all the question always is how old is this um and then I'll go into this whole rant and I'll start talking about how uh and it, this is kind of echoing the conversations that me and you've had several times Mike over and over about yamadori and true age and and deadwood that can't be replicated and stuff and they're like so how old is this this buttonwood and I'm like well crap I, I, I don't know, like how, <laughs>
1: but, but it also, it, without killing the tree, there's no way to hundred percent know that. Yeah. So, you know, there's no way to take a core sample and, uh, and determine how that tree has, uh, how old it is. So the only thing you can do is extrapolate. You can say, you can count, look at the green, kind of get an idea of how tight it is. Uh, If you have experience, I've grown buttonwoods from cutting. I've grown them from seed. So I know how long they take to grow when they're happy. And Mm -hmm. I know that if a tree has been in a a wooded area for 30 years and it's two feet tall, that tree's growing very, very slowly, you know, for a buttonwood. And so you start to get an idea. You start to get like a a rough idea of roughly how old are those trees going to be. Because you start to extrapolate on how long did it take me to get bark on that branch? Yeah, it took me ten years. Okay, well this one has bark that's three times as thick. Mm. So you know you start taking these signs, and so there's no no hundred percent accurate way to do it. You're basically just taking an educated guess. And yeah. I I will say some of these buttonwoods are thirty years old, some are fifty, some are definitely over a hundred years old, and yeah. uh, and they're kicking butt and doing great as in bonsai pots. So. And uh, trunk caliber
0: can attribute to uh, buttonwoods as well. Uh, how big, because I've seen them as barrier plants, planted mm-hmm. like just as a, a native landscape type thing, and like where you, yeah. they are in your area. What's the what's the maximum caliber on on a buttonwood? Oh, they'll get up to like a 30-foot 30, 30 tree, you know, with mm. a
1: huge sprawling crown, crown. And so when you see them, um, anybody who's interested, you can look up the Florida Keys State Champion buttonwood. And you'll see mm. it, it has these incredible life veins and this gnarled deadwood all over it. And it's it's a giant, giant tree. And it yeah. um, gives you a good idea of why they're so prized in Bonsai. You know, they they really are survivors.
0: Okay. Yeah, I was... I, I'll have to go look that tree up. I mean, uh, how... How big is the base on that tree? Would you say?
1: Oh God, I don't know. I mean, it's not like a, It's not going to compete with like a huge cypress or a redwood or anything or like, like that. A coastal oak or something. No, <laughs> nothing like that. But it's. But uh, it is obviously old. It's an old big tree, and when you compare it to like the fact that a lot of the buttonwoods you're going to encounter and collect are like hedges, you know they're mm-hmm. teeny. It's uh when you see them as big big trees, it just shows you like some of them can grow. Super fast, super happy, and healthy, and uh, and then you see these like old old timers just struggling along with three leaves on them.
0: Yeah. So yeah, circling back around to uh to ficuses. Um, yeah. I am I wrong to say that I've seen big banyan style ficuses like in downtown Fort Myers? Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. We have
1: we actually have um the record holder here in Fort Myers. We have uh the biggest one I. Th- think in continental US, I may be wrong, but uh it's I think like a few acres wide at the base of it. Jesus and wait, yeah, what? It, yeah, I'm dead serious. It's uh it's because the way that they grow, as they grow branches horizontal, they also start to drop these aerial roots. And the aerial roots will once they hit the ground thicken and turn into trunks. And as they continue to thicken, they meet other aerial roots or other trunks and they fuse to those. And so over a hundred years, you get this like big, wide area with multiple trunks that are feeding it. So you get these huge, that make a bigger kind of overall trunk.
0: Okay. Cause I saw one, I was in downtown Fort Myers and I saw one next to like an old, uh, like state building or, uh, politic, uh, political building, something like that. And it was sprawling. And I was like, that's got to be a ficus the thing was it was enormous it had the really really big deep set looking kind of fluted base kind of how the the, the roots come out really wide yep. um and i was like there's no way uh because i i had just assumed that that type of ficus was more of a uh, uh india uh no, or um, malaysia yeah
1: no and, and there's a lot of different types so banyan banyan is a term that is used there is a, a, a tree that's called true banyan, and that's Indian banyan tree, ficus bengalensis. Okay. And uh, that's the true banyan. Now, that's confusing because there are tons of other Eurostigma figs that will create quote-unquote banyan trees that will create the same look. And so more often than not, banyan just refers to a Eurostigma fig, like a fig that has aerial roots that grows in that wide kind of strangler fashion.
0: And is that is that a... Th- that can, I know that's called a more of a world. That's more of a cultural style mm-hmm. of bonsai. It's not Correct. something that you would just look in the books and see. Um, no,
1: you've got to be like
0: in the tropics. Like
1: what you'll see is the only place I've really heard it called Banyan style is uh, in Florida. Most of the other thing now the rules. I still see the same rules apply to the trees in Taiwan. So like, what is banyan style? Banyan style is basically having a short crown that's twice as long as it is tall. And you're basically, so think of it as your typical rule of threes tree, but I'm going to step on it and I'm going to squish it. Mm -hmm. And it's going to blow out on the sides. And so I'm basically squishing it down and all my branches are going to be tighter together. So not barely any negative space between branches. And I'm going to focus on either aerial roots or nabari. And that's it. And uh, the main difference between the way the Taiwanese do their banyan style and the way Florida does it is whether you're going to have aerial roots on the tree or not. Um, I don't grow ficus with aerial roots. I'll I'll just tell everybody that right now is it's not for me. And that's because I'm on this this personal quest for like (laughs) perfect taper. And that is that is a, a quest that I enjoy. That's what I get out of bonsai. It's the the way I enjoy the hobby, and so I don't like aerial roots because that messes up my taper. And so for me, I'd rather focus on the roots at the Nabari and graft and make a really powerful Nabari and uh, and not have any aerial roots. However, there are a lot of people who love them. Uh, there are countries in like Indonesia, they're real big on them and uh, there are certain looks. Uh, like you won't get the Banyan, the true Banyan look without aerial, aerial roots. Mm -hmm. So it's, uh, you always have to ask yourself, is it worth it? You know, do I care? Do I care that I'm going to get reverse taper? Some people argue that, you know, without the aerial roots, it's doesn't look, it's not a true Banyan, you know? So people can take it however they want and kind of pursue the growth of ficus and whatever makes them happy. You know, I personally don't like them, but, um that doesn't mean I would grade a tree lesser because they had them.
0: Um, so when it comes to styles, like there's the cultural styles from where, where they're grown into the bond, the Banyan, which is now now we know that's completely separate, uh, its own thing on, on its own, but it has different appreciations, which you, which you just described with the aerial roots mm-hmm. versus not, um, other stylings of ficus, uh, so as we wrap up our conversation about tiger barks, uh, what other forms and styles do you appreciate them or find them best suited for?
1: Um, I'm really a sucker. I mean, I'm a sucker for like a strong upright banyan style ficus, but they can be used for just about anything. I I personally don't like using them for bunjin. I think that they. Uh,
0: I don't see they... a lot of them as gin. But... Oh, I do.
1: I see quite a few and. And it, there's nothing wrong with that. It's just that bunjin is a very specific style that really think of it as like the most wabi sabi style there is. Yeah, and so it's the style that really dictates a uh, a strong amount of age, a strong amount of character, and a ficus is just very soft to me to be mm-hmm. uh, literati. You know, feels too soft. But again, I'm speaking from opinions. Uh, I do like them as. Um, Root over rocks. I think they make fantastic root over rocks, fantastic exposed root. Um, what else? Obviously, slanting style, mm. informal upright. I don't like using formal upright in tropical trees. Um, I It's not, most tropical trees don't grow formal. So yeah. more often than not, they're going to grow very informal. And it's so I tend to uh, avoid A little bit that. more of a
0: bold feeling for such, like you said earlier, like a softer feeling tree yeah exactly formal upright yeah yeah and, th-
1: and it's not it just doesn't feel true to the
0: nature of a ficus you know they're very undulating mm-hmm. so naturally uh, moving back and forth whereas you see you do see the on on uh unfortunate s curve ficus a lot yeah sure and like that's just so easy just to be like back and forth back and forth switch switch back movement here but yeah. they will do that to an extent on their own from sure. what i've seen
1: yeah yeah they'll they'll do all sorts of weird things um uh, when they're growing, and uh, they're really, really unique trees. I mean, I really do love ficus. I think that's, uh, like I said, one of my favorites. I think just their ability to fuse so easily. I mean, I I have a few tire barks. You guys can go back on my uh, Facebook and and look a few months ago where I literally took a uh, a threaded screw and I just screwed two showhin together, and they're already fused. Hmm. You know, this was just a few months ago. So I just made my showhin like four inches bigger.
0: So, yeah. i mean like you said they they just don't care if it's if they're touching each other and they just they get happy and they start growing I mean they just yeah they just go for it yeah which
1: i mean that brings me to a good thought though you, you you just thank you because you were asking about styles one thing to avoid is if you are trying to go with like a threaded or braided look if you are trying to ooh. or if you're trying to do a how do i word this if you're trying to do like a corkscrew or a spin or any kind of movement in the tree care needs to be taken that the two coils do not touch each other because it will fuse and then you'll yep. be left with like a big ball yeah and you won't you won't have this like nice movement you'll just have a big
0: fused ball we'll so you go and see what that looks like when, done, when one is done properly like you're saying
1: yeah. So basically you don't want to like over thicken them if you put movement into them to where the, the two sides touch, because then you just get a big donut that fuses together.
0: <clears throat> I'll have to see. Uh we I don't get I don't have the pleasure of viewing that many uh attempted ficuses in that style. It's it just makes me laugh to kind of think about the over exaggerated things that I've you probably have seen in the 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 donut tree is kind of interesting to me i'm also yeah. hungry it's it's getting close to dinner me too time. my
1: stomach's rumbling and i'm thinking about do-
0: donuts and yeah <laughs> and uh don't want to bite into the ficus because they uh they do have latex in them so uh they do yeah they're pretty be, nasty be careful with that but uh yeah i think one of the ones that you uh that you didn't mention it's probably not a preferred style then i guess is uh forest plantings oh yeah no i, oh, I didn't okay. even think about that so forest right.
1: plantings would be awesome uh again you just need to Keep in mind that you will not have the luxury of resetting trees very easily because the roots are going to fuse together.
0: It's going to become like
1: a plate. It's going to (laughs) come become like a plate. And you're going to repot it year after year after year as like one tree. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: so um, you know, if you're planning on on adding trees or you're planning on like separating it and using it, you basically have to saw it into pieces. So Mm It can be a little trickier, but it's never stopped me from using them in force material. I think they're awesome.
0: Um, yeah, one of the well, a couple of episodes back, I can't remember how many it is now. Me and Carmen covered uh, clump styles, and if you get to that issue where you do have a sinuous, just just connected base, um, I guess you could kind of aim them towards that. If you really found it like difficult to separate them again, yeah. Um, So clump styles are appropriate as well. Clump
1: styles are awesome. Clump styles are something that, you know, a lot of times when we get into bonsai, we don't like it, but that's a great style that's underutilized. I really, really uh, think it's cool. So that's another style I didn't think to mention that's really useful for uh, ficus is clump
0: style. It it shows like a really unique way to show age in something that formerly was juvenile, but then kind of reached its potential feel in its life and the way that it looks it's kind of how that's how clump styles make me feel um i I did a lot of talking on the other episode about it but uh just touching on it lightly it's just clump style like you said underutilized like i go up to the pacific northwest uh when i visit carmen and, and michael and i see beautiful clump styles uh especially deciduous clump styles and um yeah i think there should be definitely more of them
1: well people people are are put off and I understand why, uh, but people are put off, especially beginners with multi-trunk plantings. So mm. if it's something that has multiple trunks on it, it's a lot more confusing. And so one of the things I'll tell you, the listeners, to kind of help them out with group plantings is, you always first wanna look at the structure of a tree and determine whether you're dealing with trunks or branches. Cause you can make that decision on your own. Anything can be a trunk or a branch. If you've decided that they're trunks, let's say I have three trunks, Close your like, don't close your eyes, but kind of think of one of the trees and ignore the rest and just mm-hmm. focus on designing that one tree as a bonsai, that one trunk as a bonsai, then move on to the next one, make that into a bonsai, um, move on to the third, make that into a bonsai, and then kind of see where you're... Have too many branches. See where you're kind of running into things, and uh, and make some appropriate actions to kind of thin out some of those crossing branches. And that's usually the best place to start as a beginner for starting to understand group plannings.
0: Yeah. So take take what Mike said there, and uh, make sure you're not driving your vehicle and listen to our podcast. And yeah. uh, and close your eyes. Pull over. Close your eyes. <laughs> pull over <laughs> first, and then close your eyes. Uh, yeah. But I think that would that's something that a, uh, a lot of people that get into bonsai earlier is the visual- visualization and pre-planning and breaking down that structure in your mind. Um, I mean, if if you're uncomfortable with closing your eyes and trying to be imaginative, some some people are just not you know they can't imagine things like that. They're a little bit more pneumatic. They want to take a picture of the tree and sure and erase trunk lines with their you know their markup on their phone or something you know whatever it takes to kind of start visualizing visualizing the lines in the trunks yeah uh, like I you mean, said because it is it is really
1: confusing you know dealing with uh, a lot of different uh, branches a lot of different trunks all running into each other you know you don't know what's going to be the right one to cut off what's going to be the right one to save but i usually tell people um, to slow down that's the first thing i say is slow down you know <laughs> look at the tree objectively and start removing everything on the tree that you hundred percent know you you are not going to use in the design so hundred percent and i always ask them like you're going to use branches on the inside of a curve And they say no okay remove every single one of those and so once you kind of get through removing all the noise you're left with a much cleaner vision and then you can start applying what you want out of the tree you know, yeah. So, so that's usually how I recommend group plannings and uh, and approaching those.
0: Yeah. Cool. So, yeah. we're getting towards the end of uh today's episode, but uh, we were we would do some listener questions, but uh, I'd like to let them accumulate a little bit more, and maybe we can get Carmen on for a future episode, and we'll go pick through a few of those. Um. So, and we don't have any critiques. Uh, we had some fun critiques, but uh, we've had two bald cypresses uh well actually wait nope there there was one Dawn Redwood and one uh bald Cypress uh like I said like I said earlier in the uh the episode you can go to our Instagram uh little things for boneside people and you can go see those critique trees there they're listed by what number episode uh, coordinates with but uh if there's any listeners out there that wants Mike to kind of go through and look at a tropical I mean he's your man to, to do that I mean I could look at a, a tropical and kind of tell you what's what i how i feel about their design but there's 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 something about tropicals that is very nuanced that maybe mike could even just bring you into a different direction uh because i mean each species each tropical is going to have its own particular attribute or characteristics that they're going to really be able to show off Mm -hmm. so that's true Yep. So listener critiques, uh, we're ready for them. Just, you know, email them to me. Uh, you can email to Evan at underhillboneside.com or you can email to Mike. Make sure you mm-hmm. tell him that it's for the podcast because I'm sure he gets a bunch of emails a day about uh, bonsai. Uh, what's your what's your email for that? Uh, it's it's
1: Mike Lane bonsai at gmail.com.
0: Yep, so email those over there. We'd love to get a couple more critiques. Those were a lot of fun. Uh, yeah, sorry you couldn't be in on some of the critiques, Mike, but uh, maybe we can get you some. Oh, that's all right, man. I, I'm sorry. I was
1: I was just crazy. I forgot that I had COVID, too. So that was a... Uh, a revisit
0: of COVID coming back it, from India.
1: Yeah, I did. Yeah, on the flight back. I was I was
0: a 20-hour flight, and I was just getting sick with COVID. Mm, 20 it, hours yeah. on a plane stuck in isolation, just the thing just yeah. feverish uh, and <laughs> yeah. and and you're just you're just like looking at everybody else on this plane you're like oh i'm geez, like I'm, I'm so sorry everybody <laughs> i'm so sorry but i didn't know i had it at the time. i just thought i
1: was getting a cold or something so wasn't wasn't yeah. too terrible but
0: well glad you're feeling better i mean that's that's also been a couple of weeks past so yeah yeah
1: oh yeah yeah i'm well well better now and, and happy to be back on the podcast happy to be back on the on the train
0: yeah excellent uh, let's knock out our uh, bonsai word of the week, uh, for just right. a moment, and then uh and then we'll kind of say some closing remarks. So I I chose uh sui bond yeah bond So um, I knew a little bit about this. Uh, Mike kind of filled me in a little bit earlier before we started, but uh, tell them what a bond is. So a bond is
1: basically a, a bonsai pot without drain holes, and so what they're used for is. Uh, if I wanted to do a rock planting like a psyché, it would be a good display pot because you don't need drain holes when you're displaying a psyché. Um, it's also very, very useful for suiseki display. So, if you like to collect stones, um, but you don't always have the ability to make a diaza or a little stand for the individual stone, you get a few suabon or just one suabon and you get some nice sand, not like play sand, you get some nice like brown uh, sand that'll look nice, and you will display the stone in the middle of the sand. And so it's like a very classy way of displaying your stones that you've collected uh, that maybe haven't had a diaza, or maybe one that maybe you don't want to select a front to the stone, and you just want to be able to show it in various orientations. Hmm. It's very helpful to be able to show it in the the sand tray. Uh, yeah. There. Sorry, they're usually elaborately glazed on the bottom too. So if you don't fill them with sand, you can see this like nice pretty pattern when you plant your Psyche in it. And um, so it's basically like another way of framing the, the tree or art piece.
0: Psyche
1: versus So-Seki. Uh, So Psyche is, is where we are actually planting a tree on a rock. So not a root okay. of a rock because its roots will not be in contact with uh, soil below. It won't go over, it will go into a small pocket in a rock and it will survive in that little pocket. And so that's a Psyche. And then the rock is positioned in a -a Suwaban for display, usually affixed in a number of different ways. Um, But that's a Psyche. And a -a suiseki is the appreciation of stones. So all that means is like, uh, the best way I, I got into it was, just like bonsai is seeing a big tree in miniature, you're seeing a mountain in miniature. So a lot of, and it's not always going to be mountains, but that's a good way to kind of start is you're shrinking mountains. Mm. And so uh, suiseki is a way of kind of when you're out in the woods, enjoying the trees, you can also hunt for beautiful stones, you know, so.
0: And I feel like a suaban, suaban can also show like a coastal, bolt like boulder or yeah. old lava uh, runoff,
1: like rock. So. Yeah. You can, you can show a lot of different things in a sewer
0: band. It's like a, it's a, a good tool to have for just general display purposes, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and, and you are specifying that the, the sewer band needs to be glazed or is there other options? It doesn't they-
1: have to be. No, there's uh, actually an- antique ones. There used to be ones made of bronze. Bronze sewer bands are very uh, sought after. Um, they don't have to be glazed on the bottom, but it's a nice touch. When it's glazed on the bottom, it's uh. think of that as the bottom is part of the, the aesthetic you're going to see. Whereas like we care very much about the sides of the pot. Usually now the primary surface area is going to be that big uh, inside of the pot. So mm-hmm. that's going to be the area where we want the
0: decoration. Yeah. And uh bonds <clears throat> could be tiny. They could be mm-hmm. larger. What's, what is kind of like the What's the limit? I mean, I, I was, it's kind of hard to say because it is almost limitless. It's also yeah. I haven't seen I haven't
1: seen a limit. I, uh, you know, big suiseki. I've seen them in big suibon, mm-hmm. so I have not seen a a realistic
0: limit to the size of a suibon. Yep, however big your stone or however big your uh, your yep. planting in a stone is, which was uh, that's a new word to me. What was that? What was that one? Which one? Oh, psyche sake yeah yeah um i we, we're kind of just throwing bonsai words words of the week all over the place right now yeah we're we're bonsai
1: <laughs> we're bonsai dictionarying them
0: yep uh but it's 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 fun because uh whenever i talked to uh to jennifer uh a couple episodes back and i did we did the bonsai word of the week she was like whoa i'm learning something right now this is awesome i was like yeah <laughs> so it's always cool to uh to just kind of bring us back to earth and be in and, and appreciate the words that that come from japanese culture and help us kind of train our eye and our mind into how to pr- appreciate bonsai and other p- bonsai adjacent practices and art forms uh it goes a long way so well awesome thanks for uh for getting together with me mike um, yeah and we're gonna we're gonna get you back on uh, me, me, and Carmen and Mike will hopefully be jamming uh, in the next couple of episodes. Uh, I know next episode uh, we're going to have to unfortunately be separate again. We're going to be doing a a, a bonsai forms uh, mm-hmm. episode. We're going to talk about another style that we can use in bonsai, and then uh, we should be looking forward to another guest artist soon. All right. Yep. I don't know who it is yet, but it uh, it's in the works. So thanks again uh bonsai best buds if you're a new listener welcome to the show don't forget to subscribe and if you want to become a Boneside best bud you know where to go uh patreon.com forward slash little things for boneside people and uh and thanks for hanging out mike i'll catch up on the next one thank you guys see you guys in the next one yeah dude all right we'll see y'all